0: Hello
1: and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushi. This is your host, Menion, also known as Rob. So uh, unfortunately I've
2: not been able to to uh, get my uh, rules to the table. Um, The last session that we had one of the players um, was uh, so late that he didn't turn up until after the game finished which was a bit unfortunate. I only had his reasons, so you know, fair enough. And um, we spent the whole time uh, discussing the the uh, direction of the campaign. And um, although it was a reasonably productive discussion, um, it didn't really go anywhere. So um, what we're doing is we're gonna, I'm gonna take some time out from GMing and um, that, the Osaka group, that is. And instead, um, Lyle uh, from Idle Ild Red Hands podcast is going to run a few sessions of 3E D&D um, and it will be set in an urban adventure set in Greyhawk City. So that should be very interesting. So much of the talk um, that I'll be doing, um, this time at least, will be um, responses to to the ideas that I've been putting around about the new game rules, uh, house rules, Um, and uh, also maybe uh, start uh, considering uh, some of the things that I'm reading now, which uh, is mostly original Dungeons & Dragons. So I've been reading through the Little Brown books and the supplements. So I'll have a few ideas about that, but probably won't present anything serious uh, this time. Um, I think I'll put a whole... Uh, episode or two uh, solely for that uh, purpose so the the response to the house rules episode was actually really good um in quite a short time i got some feedback uh, on anchor twitter um, and elsewhere on discord so that was very good i got a few call-ins of course from our friend uh, jason of nerds rpg variety cast and um, yeah, the people who called in uh, or discussed it, we got uh, um, Clarix Wear Chainmail um, down in the heap, of course. And i um, trying to think of the guy's name on Twitter, Brian. Um, I'll add something if I can uh, track down the person in question. But yeah, there were a few people who were discussing their own rules, the house rules that they use for Souls and the Wizardry or um, old school essentials or, you know, that kind of uh, classic fantasy game. It's all been um, quite interesting to see how people deal with this subject, but also to see the um, excitement around house ruling. So I'm recording this as I, as I uh, go down the street, the, the high street, the high street. I mean, it's more like a, a big, like a boulevard, uh, running down center of Kyoto. But uh, I'm heading to the heading to work. I'll be there in a few moments. Just waiting at the at the. Uh, traffic lights um I forgot what i was going to say oh yeah tonight i'm starting the old school essentials campaign in uh using the barrow maze um, and i'll be online for just two hours but um i'm very excited it's a large group as i've said before um we've got seven players so there'll be eight people online it'll be utter chaos um so the first session will be you know kind of introductions and, and trying to work out some um, protocol for um, for communicating ideas and re- running the game in such a manner. So it should be fun, and hopefully, you know, after a few sessions, we'll get used to the used to the um, uh, butting in <laughs> and uh, talking over each other, and and form some kind of functional way to run the game. At least that's my hope.
1: So slight addendum, Um, it wasn't David, it was Brian Ashford and Andrew Bartlett that I was having a talk to on Twitter. Um, Brian was suggesting that um, plus one to hit and plus one to AC aren't significant or aren't as significant as a plus one to damage, so suggested that two handed weapons would give a plus one damage shields would give a plus two to ac and dual weapons would give a plus two to hit uh, he also you know him and uh and andrew also made some other uh suggestions about rules I'll, i won't go into here um but um we did cross into the territory of looking at uh, using the cleric turntable for skill roles, which was originally suggested, or I don't know if it was originally suggested, but it was suggested by yet another uh, person, an anchorite, whose name eludes me at this moment. Oh goodness, why is that? I'll have to double check. Um, It's on the tip of my tongue. Anyways, um, Plus two to hit, plus two to armor class does seem quite high to me, however, although I understand that the logic of the plus two on a d20, the plus one on a damage dice or something. Um, um, The reason why is because spells like bless or uh, so on often only give a plus one. And so it seems to me that if you were to um, give such high bonuses to the d20. All right, they're not high um, if you look at it from a certain perspective, but if you look at it in terms of other game rules, it it does seem to be overpowered, especially in a game where the pluses and minuses tend to float around the minus two to plus two range. So I'm not sure on that. I I would have to sort of sit down and and play out and see where it goes. And of course the addendum to the addendum. So it was lonely adventurer that I was trying to think of. Lonely adventurer of camping with owlbears. Goodness sake. <laughs> A few people commented that uh, my rules on on uh, dual wielding, that is wielding two weapons, um, was actually an optional rule from the Swords and Wizardry Complete rule book. Uh, I think the part that I had, the reason why I wrote it down and the part that I had introduced was that the weapons had to be of uh, two different sizes and the point here being that a wizard, a magic user for example, who is able to use two daggers would not be able to dual wield. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that was because, well, you know, every thief, every magic user Mm, there's the problem, hang on, thief, let's leave that to later. Every magic user would wish to dual wield, because, I mean, why not? What I wanted to do, on the other hand, is to say that you have some different combat options, so the people who can use shields, the people who can use uh, weapons of various sizes, and the people who can use um, two-handed weapons, There then have a choice of um, switching between these weapon styles. So, yeah, the problem was Thief. Um, Thief, yeah, so obviously a Thief cannot use a shield. Uh, But what about dual wield? Well, I don't think it's a big problem if they do dual wield. Um, hmm. They can use any weapon uh, according to the rules of swords and wizardry, and I think BX. So, yeah, um, why not? Even though they can't use a shield. There's no trade-off, but what what the heck, you know? Um, the problem I do see though is the two-handed rule, where you get a plus one to damage. Uh, this this is not speaking about your wielding, by the way. Um, the the rule of using a well a typical sort of medium-sized weapon in two hands, giving a plus one to damage, it sounds very good, but um, if you think about it, well. What, what happens to the two-handed weapons, such as a two-handed sword or a battle axe? I think the battle axe is usually a two-handed weapon, is it? Um, this weapon um, suddenly isn't so decent because, you know, well, if you can do a d10 damage with a two-handed sword and it's a heavy, hefty thing, why would you use that when you can pick up a typical, a normal sword, a long sword? Which does a d8 damage but does two to nine points of damage if you use it two-handed and weighs a lot less and it's versatile because you can there switch to one-handed pick up a shield uh, switch to um, dual wield and so on and so forth so yeah uh, that's that's another little um, problem and perhaps the reason why i wouldn't allow the plus one to damage for two-handed weapons i think i would restrict two-handed weapons to weapons that are actually supposed to be used two-handed um that brings me on to another point so um cleric's wear chainmail cleric's wear chainmail is a uh, blogger and a and an anchorite that is a uh, a person who does uh, podcasts or or otherwise uh, interacts with people on the anchor community of role playing games he he sent me, he was kind enough to send me a link to his uh, blog from, it says here, October 24th, 2020, on dual wielding or fighting with two weapons. And I'm just going to quickly go over this. Uh, I'll put this in the note if I remember. If I do not, please tell me and I'll add it. Um, what he suggests is that uh, dual wield is, you know, plus one to hit and attacks and I must mention here, he's talking about BX Dungeons and Dragons or Old School Essentials, that kind of game. Um, But it could easily be used for many other forms of uh, classic D&D. So yeah, this plus one to hit on attacks, uh, the same as Swords and Wizardry, not an extra attack. Or you, you could be in parrying mode, a defensive position. So an offensive position, plus one to attack. A defensive position it then becomes like a shield so a plus one bonus to armor class um, and what he does to kind of um, balance this out a little bit is is to have the character if surprised is unable to adopt either uh, either position so they cannot use the second weapon to to parry um or to gain a bonus um Bonus on attacks, I'm not sure if that would be effective in a surprise round, where they're, hmm. oh, in the first combat round, in which they are aware of their adversaries, there we go, so that's the, that's the important part, so presumably when they are surprised, they would lose any benefits, of you know, of, of course, um, but they would also lose the benefit of uh, an addition to, or uh, an improved armor class, um, if they were in defensive, because they cannot be in a position. Um, they cannot be in a specific uh, de- defensive stance. But they would also, that would extend to the first round of combat too, after being surprised, so that they couldn't then suddenly move into an offensive or a defensive p- position. Um, that sounds very good. So th- th- there immediately is um, an advantage of of using a shield, um And in my system where shields are able to block quite large amounts of damage automatically, um, again, um, shield does have certain advantages over any uh, other forms um, of adding a uh, bonus to your defense. Uh, an improving pro improvement to your defense. I waffle. I'll try to continue on a little bit more quickly. So um, he also adds some optional rules for this. So I like quite like this. He says that um, in the case of rolling an exact number that you need to hit an armor class. Um, I don't know. So for example, we're using ascending armor class. You have a zero bonus to hit, and the opponent is wearing. Um has an armor class of 14. If you rolled the 14 on the dice or modified to a 14 if you have modifications, then that has a special result. And what happens is it's actually your offhand weapon that would do the attack. So in the case of a sword and a dagger, the the dagger would actually be doing the damage instead. So it would be a d4 instead of a um a d8, which I, I quite like. I think it adds a little bit of flavour to the combat. Um, and also balances out the fact that you 're using two weapons and here um here here the, the it 's a slight uh, penalty in, in a in a way yeah you 're not quite getting as much damage as you would um but of course you 're getting that plus one to hit anyway because you 're doing you probably using an offensive style so um yeah you know i mean it's it 's good it 's good i like it um um and then again on a twenty um are you using criticals? I don't know. But he suggests, well, you could allow both damage dice. Um, presumably bonuses for um, strength would only apply to the to one roll. So a d8 plus a d4 then plus any uh, bonuses for strength. That's the way I read it uh, on a quick scan. So I like that. I really like that. Um, there's then some other factors. Oh my goodness. I'm not going to go into the, this just yet. a whole bunch of matrices with percentages um i oh okay this is not this is not um directly um relating to the dual weapons this is more about different characters different characters and sort of looking at comparing damage output and, and chances to hit I don't know I'm gonna to have to look at that but that is all clerics with ringmail has to say about dual wielding and some really interesting points there okay here's a message uh, or a selection of messages from Jason so um, this is Jason of nerds rpg variety cast take it away
0: Jason <laughs> Hey Rob, Jason here. Very interesting here. The your proposed house rules. I'll be interested to see how they're received by your players, how often they're used, um, how they work out. I I'm not going to comment on the individual rules, but it it reminds me more and more why I don't like D and D. Most other games, we we don't feel the need to house rule this extensively. We don't add a bunch of rules. We might take things away. We might not play with certain aspects of, you know, Rolemaster, but but we don't add a bunch of rules when we play Rolemaster. D&D, the, you know, especially with the older editions, that one-minute combat round was included all these things, understood, but now we want to delineate. You, you know, it's a flurry of blows, which, of course, is, you know, inconsistent because it's a flurry of blows, but it's a single arrow you fire, right? So there, there is an inconsistency of the rules as they're written. Both with your rules and with um, Rob C's over at Down the Heap, there's a lot of emphasis on making sure the rule isn't abused and trying to balance it and, and all that kind of thing. I, I think that I'm not against house rules per se or, or playing it the way you want to play it, the rule zero kind of thing, right? I really like Daniel's idea over on the Bandits Keep podcast of using chainmail combat, um, but partially probably that is because on fantasy combat you're a lot of it's narrative combat and it's not crunchy stuff, right? Um, I don't know. I, I am interested to see how they received. I, I wish you the very best of luck without question, and, and I'm not against house rules even in other systems. So a good example when you do house rule in another system that we discussed during the game I had this morning is in Call of Cthulhu. Rules is written in Call of Cthulhu to advance skills for your character advancement. If you successfully use a skill during the session, you can put a check mark next to it, and then, you know, at the end of that adventure or whatever, you you can roll, and if you roll above that skill, then you can advance. And it can't be when you had a bonus die here now in 7th edition Call of Cthulhu. And even when you go back to 3rd edition Call of Cthulhu, which is the oldest book I have, it, it still is, you have to succeed in the skill. Which is kind of counterintuitive, because you learn a lot more by failing a lot of times than you do by succeeding. But Call of Cthulhu specifies you have to succeed. Now, this isn't the case with all of Chaosium's games back in the day. When we look at the wonderful Stormbringer first edition game, written by um, um, Ken St. Andre, in Stormbringer, as long as you use a skill at the end of that session, you you can you can roll to see if it advanced. Which is much closer to what I like, and that's kind of what Harnmaster does as well. But yeah, so that's a house where I would definitely incorporate in Call of Cthulhu. Is if you use a skill during the session, you'd be able to roll to see if it advances. It's not like your Call of Cthulhu characters live for years anyway, you know. Um, and even if they do, you're you're advancing by what one point each session. So who, you know, what's the big deal? I I don't remember how many or if you're all d10 to advance. I think when we did Cthulhu Invictus, we were on a D ten when we advanced. But regardless, I I think that's kind of a a, a weird that's so I would there are definitely things that I'd house rule in other systems, but D and D seems to get the the brunt of it. And and especially with complicated combat house rules or typically what the house rules are, right? Or there are things like getting rid of the leveled caps for demi humans. Anyhow I hope this isn't coming across negative. I know a lot of people take my calls negatively, um, but that's not my intent here. I'm I just kind of talking. <laughs> but, but I do wish you the best. I'm interested to see how they're received. And yeah, so please keep us informed. I look forward to your next episode and I hope you're doing well. Take care.
1: Well, thanks so much for your uh, call-ins, Jason. Always very much appreciated. Um, I do like to have your uh, take on things, you often come from a very different angle. To me, I don't think you're pouring cold water um, on the ideas, uh, not at all. I do think it's helpful sometimes to say, "Hang on, is this necessary?" Um, hang on, have you thought about this? So you know, I, it's very much appreciated. Um, one one thing that uh, does occur to me, if I if my if I can get my head uh, um, working because <laughs> I've forgotten. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on, give us a moment. I'm not, I'm I'm totally sober by the way. Um, this is just me. One thing that does occur to me is, um, is, is well, you talk about, um, you know, the one minute melee round, um, combat round, uh, and how it just doesn't make any sense reducing this flurry of blows to a single um, role, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, we're getting back into the territory of um, verisimilitude and, and is it even possible to um, simulate something, reality, and even if it would, is possible, is that really what we want to do, you know? Um, and I think actually, if you remember back last year, you argued that it wasn't something that we wanted to do, <laughs> that, that in fact, um it wasn't necessary the it wasn't necessary that games be realistic or uh, um and that we we um enter worlds um uh in such a way that um uh, as to separate from the game i don't know maybe you were referring more to the game rules and you have a different sense of verisimilitude or realism with respect to the rules and to um, role-playing or actually, you know, uh, immersion and all that stuff that we got into before. I, I don't want to get into that again. Um, you you also mentioned that the house rules, well, if, if it really needs house ruling that much, why play it? Uh, you didn't quite say that, um, so I may be sort of putting words in your mouth. But, but you did mention that, you know, this is one of the reasons why you prefer not to play Dungeons and Dragons and um i come across this kind of um uh thought or or um perspective i guess stance towards d and d quite a lot on, on twitter um and i i think i don't think it's actually right i think um there's different two different approaches that you can well, there's probably more than two, but there's two different approaches I would adopt or I have adopted in the past to the limitations of Dungeons and Dragons as a game. You know, um, if people are aren't aware of it, I, you know, I have played many many other games other than Dungeons and Dragons, um, but I do like D and D, and I come back to it because it it's um it's a funny game. You know, it's it's it scratches an itch that I have in gaming. Um, does something for me, and I think it's something to do with the simplicity of the rules and the way that it, it sort of um it it um either it, it steps around certain problems without actually addressing them or it, it steps around problems and allows you to address them um and i guess that's what i'm s- sort of talking about here that d and d the what i like about D&D is that you can look at it strictly rules as written. You can look at it as a game of chess or something like that. Bad analogy, perhaps, but it's a game. Um, it's not shogi. It's not ego. Um, it's chess. And chess, you don't want to uh, change the moves. You don't want to employ moves from shogi, which is the Japanese chess, for those who are not aware. Um, shogi is shogi. Chess is chess. And, uh, the The rules create certain approach to playing um, that is in itself uh, of interest to players (laughs) you know Um, yes it's interesting to make hybrid games Um, and then we're stepping into um, we're stepping into the territory of either um, getting rid of the old game and creating a new edition which is what they did uh, with D&D many times many times over Um, or house rolling which is where we sit down with friends and say well this is a good game but you know hey uh, if we want to achieve this within our game perhaps we should um allow pawns to move in all directions uh, at any point even if they're not queens um and people you know and and so yeah uh, uh, i think to today i've i've um being very much locked into the mindset of rules as written, or at least rules as traditionally played. Uh, when I say traditional here, um, just like uh, Tracy Hickman, I'm not referring necessarily to fascism. Um, rules as traditionally played or rules as we, we uh, customarily play them, if you prefer. Um, but then there's the other approach. Um, and I've been getting a lot of this from uh, camping with Owlbears, yeah, the Lonely Adventurer, uh, and and seeing, um, you know, um, and seeing Josh Beckelheimer, sorry, names must remember, Josh Beckleheimer, other people, um, Dave Aldridge, all, all these people who seem to have so much fun uh, from adapting the game to the table to a particular campaign or whatever it might be. Um, and I think finally I'm starting to see why that is interesting. And um, and this, I guess, is another sort of um, an, another footstep in that direction, just as when I started to talk about uh, my world building with the idea of uh, trying to create a world that, that made the rules make sense, that made d d rules make sense within its setting so it tied the setting and the rules together uh in a way that uh, didn't feel uh, uncomfortable wasn't necessarily uncomfortable at least not uncomfortable to the table um uh uncomfortable meaning here uh what wasn't about um it 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 was able to move away from certain themes that could be considered uh um inappropriate today uh, and yet, still be um, very recognisably D and D, and and embrace the themes of that game. And some of you said that 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 wasn't a good thing that you couldn't do it. Uh, I I'm not so sure. I think I think it's all in the setting. I think the way you present the game, the way you present a game, you present a setting, you present the rules is, is everything. Uh, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to uh, accept that D&D is about murdering people and stealing stuff from, from um, the natives. Okay. Um, you can create a system whereby there's a reason why things are as they are. There's a reason why the monsters are there. There's a reason why people have to go down and get the treasure and confront the monsters. Um, and of course there's no nothing in the rules of D&D that says you have to kill the monsters and so well, quite the contrary uh on the contrary rather um it, it's it's quite norm in, in in uh old D&D to negotiate with many monsters or to avoid monsters um to take risks and it's down to the group to decide um whether they wish to attack monsters. Now, the problem of, naturally, uh, before anybody says, the problem is that if you're incentivized to get gold pieces, then and the monsters have the gold pieces, then you're creating a situation. But, again, that's down to setting. You can change that around quite easily. Um, this was, however, not supposed to be about the game's setting. Rather, what I was trying to say... Um, what I wanted to illustrate was that before, I took settings, just like rules, as writ. Uh, and I never really tried to um, to make my own settings. I mean, I did really back in the day, in 85, 86, probably. But as soon as um, Forgotten Realms came out, I think that changed everything. And it became very much about settings and supplements, uh, even from you know uh first edition one point five if you like um, and that that's kind of sad, really, because I mean a lot of the fun was sitting around and writing down um creating little kingdoms and creating um characters and orders of knights and uh, and maps and things that that act of creation, which is something that people like um uh, the lonely adventurer engage in um, is is something that I think I lost out on and I, and I rather I embrace this kind of like idea of canon and lore and so bringing it back to the topic at hand the idea of house rules I think um, it, it is isn't a, a isn't a, a fault in Early D d rather it's a an advantage. It's something that's there in the rules and supposed to. The rules are written to be built on, and I am going to go in this, into this in more detail um, when I uh, start doing some stuff about the little brown books, the original D anD d books, and the supplements. But um, it definitely specifies that this game can be used for. Anything. It provide. It says that you can use this for um, the Wild West or for science fiction, and it also specifies. Look, you can have hit locations, with each hit location having hit points. I mean, it's it's basically laying out the one of the fundamental um, features of RuneQuest and so it it does these things, and you can see from the outset where they 've created this foundation that other people can go on to house rule and also to turn into completely new games that are separate from the original game, separate with separate um, intellectual property if that 's your bag so no it it's not um it's not a fault um It's a feature um, and it's a an advantage of the early systems that they create a very simple framework and you can tear out the to hit rolls with the d20 and you can use chainmail. Um, You can tear out a a descending armor class and replace it with ascending armor class. You could tear it all out and replace it with percentages or any kind of um, combat mechanic that you prefer. And I think that's really interesting. And naturally, you can also change the the way the experience works and the, the, the way that the ability scores work until you have a completely different game like Gamma World or whatever. So um, I have waffled and waffled um, and I've got away from your point. And this was just in response to your first two or three messages, Jason. What on earth am I going to do? Hang on. Now Jason, I think you you did uh, a switcheroo there at the yeah. end, and you you came around and said that that uh, house ruling was uh, was actually pretty good, you know, because you could um, use this rule. You want to do a bit of that. You want to um, change the way that the experience works, or you want to adopt a similar approach, as in as per the uh, earlier editions, or a similar rule system from. Um, uh, bygone day and that's exactly what we're talking about and um so um I think you've been a little bit sly there. Anyway, I do I do understand and I do appreciate the talk and of course we're all just talking. I, I put 13 minutes into that last minute response to you. <laughs> um, thanks as always. Um you always put so much time and, and um and thought Um, into responding to people uh, around Anchor uh, and into our games. Um, And uh, for those who don't know, uh, Jason is currently GMing against the Dark Master for us on uh, alternate Wednesdays with my uh, old school essentials campaign that kicked off last night. So anyway, I'll stop there. Thanks very much, Jason. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I will probably go into some detail later about the first session of the Wednesday night D&D Club that kicked off last night. This, of course, was the Old School Essentials campaign that I've started that is set in Barrow Maze. Um, There's been a little bit of interest in that. So um, in addition to what I talk about with my Greyhawk campaign when, when that kicks kicking off again, when that starts up again, um, I yeah, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a rundown on that and some of the things that came up and some of the features of the campaign, uh, most notably the large size of the party. Um, I've also, um, yeah, so I'm probably going to do a little bit of talk about uh, the Little Brown Books, as I've already mentioned today, in this podcast, that is, and uh, examine uh, original D&D and how it meshes together with the forms of uh, the game that I tend to run. So that's something to be looked at in the future, hopefully. And I think that's all for this time. So thank you once more. And until next time, take care. (laughs) Bye-bye.